Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast and welcome to the international break. Uh, it's in full swing, it's boring, it's sad and I can't wait for next weekend but in the meantime the show must go on and as opposed to doing the usual format which simply won't stick with uh, with the fact that we don't have anything to look at, um, I've decided to push the boat out and uh, this is going to be my first ever interview um, with anybody else. So. Basically, I was looking around and I thought I needed to do something different this week because the material simply isn't there. And uh, I had a I had a gentleman uh, come up on Twitter that really appealed to me in the way that I know some of the people that are listening to this are newer fans um, to the Albion, and I think it could be really useful to uh, have him on the show and have him sort of talk about what he does and what he blogs about because I think it would be really cool for you guys to look into him as and when you have the time so i got in touch with him and i struck gold on first attempt um so today i will be airing my interview that i had with uh phil otherwise known as the tweeting seagull on twitter um and we had a pretty good conversation about the season so far um his life with the albion and the blog that he runs and why you should check that out too so without further ado i give to you the first interview on together a brighton and Ove albion podcast Wicked. Well, thank you again for coming on to the podcast, uh, Phil. And I guess the first question we need to ask you is how are you feeling? Um, it's the international break and our first four games are done. What's the uh, what's the verdict? Yeah, I guess overly, I would say I feel still feel optimistic. I think we all went into the season uh, as Brighton fans with all the new signings that we made, um, at being very optimistic, having and the buzz of the win against United at home at the end of last season was was still there and and, and it's the the four, despite the fact the four games have been a, I think it's fair to say a bit of a mixed bag still feeling still feeling optimistic I would say given that four points from four games is a good return from the the fixtures that we've had um, I mean as as good as as United was um, and how well we played the the game before the first game of the season against Watford was was as as bad um, as that. It was uh, they were very much at one end of of the spectrum from from the other, really, weren't they? Um, oh man, Watford was horrific. <laughs> yes, just just to to have the it it was it for me. It felt like um, it really we were at risk of really having that that early season optimism and buzz from all the new signings completely killed off. Uh, from then going into United and then Liverpool, um, but the way we played against United was a fantastic response to how awful we were against Watford. So um, that was quite—it was a relief more than anything, I think. The the game against United, and then I guess the the next two, whilst neither Liverpool or Fulham were results-wise were what we wanted. I think there's plenty of positives to take away. I think particularly given the way we played against Liverpool in the two games last season and the, what was it, a 9-1 on the 
on aggregate defeat over the two games home and away. Um, yeah, it wasn't fantastic. <laughs> no, exactly. To come away losing losing one nil at Anfield, I think probably a lot of Albion fans would have taken that before the game. Let's be honest. And I think the the result against Fulham was probably as was disappointing. I think everyone wanted you you hope to beat new newly promoted teams at home, but nonetheless we played well and I think they were better than than uh, certainly I expected um, them to, them to be. So yeah, overly overly quite optimistic I think, and uh, there's still plenty to come in as well, isn't there? Lots of new signings to 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 bring into the side and. And Zone still hasn't even featured at all. He's still got to come back from injury. So, yeah, and, and we've got Izquierdo coming back as well after him playing at the World Cup. So there's still there's plenty to be optimistic about, certainly. Yeah, I think we're I think we're on the same boat on that one. I've I feel the same way. Four points from four games is is really where I wanted to be. We got there in a different manner, but um that's pretty much where I was hoping we'd be too. So yeah, I think we're a, I think yeah. we're looking good. So Let's move on to the the blog you write. Um, you write under a tweeting seagull. Um, and yes. do you want to just uh, do you want to just tell everybody how like what made you start the blog, uh, when you started it, and the kind of content you you provide to the Albion faithful? Yeah, sure. So I started n- not that long ago, really, um, April of this year, two thousand eighteen. Um, and I guess ultimately, it's as uh, a lot of people who are listening to this show is, it's out of a, a love of, of the Albion um, for the reason I started it. I mean, to kind of go back to, to my Albion supporting history, I started supporting the Albion going to games when they moved to the Wistine Stadium in uh, in the late 90s. Um, obviously, that was that was uh, really a, a point of, of an upward trajectory of the club the, from that point onwards. So... Um, it, it, after some some very difficult times and and a lot of from that point onwards a lot of what even still to today a lot of what people write about the Albion is is often referring to the eighty three Cup final and and that miss from Gordon Smith and 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 then the uh, the ninety seven season and losing the ground and the Hereford game um, and saying up on the last day of the season so I guess whilst those are very historic moments in the club's history and, and important moments in the club's history. It's, it's not my experiences of the Albion. I guess part of what I wanted to do was 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 write about just my experiences and my perspective because g- going into the Premier League was was then what particularly motivated me. Was I, I've always been interested in, in reading about the Albion. I grew up listening to BBC Sussex. I, when I didn't go to games, I'd listen to the radio and, and listen to... Ian Hart talk about the Albion who was you know love him or hate him he was a passionate Albion fan and um, and someone who was who was made some great radio and then you had reading the Argus every day and and it just growing up in Sussex it really felt like the Albion was the centre of the universe really footballing wise and then moving out of Sussex for first university and then for work um and I've been away from Sussex for about five years now. It's, it's, it's. You get a very different view of the Albion. That it very much is centred around people talking about the fact that Brighton uh, win the '83 Cup final, and people remembering that, and 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 '97 and Hereford, and 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 very much feeling like, well, as a club, 
English football is very particular, I guess, about this, where there's so many clubs which have a very unique history. And, and I guess it, it, it's about giving that perspective because obviously there's a lot of new Albion fans that have, that have come to come to the club since promotion to the Premier League and, and a lot of people who've, who've started supporting the club since the new stadium was built at Falmer. And it's about adding that perspective, I guess, of what this current situation means to a lot of a lot of supporters and, and being an Albion fan really means and, and, and particularly going to some of the games last season, like the, the West Brom game where we won at home and to win in, see us win in the Premier League. And it was... Um, I guess it, it's it's really about that, and, and that's what what motivated me to do it. And and I guess then since I, I, generally I write a blog every week pre-game, and and what I generally write about is something loosely connected to the the opposition that we're writing about that we're playing, and, and I write about something a memory from a game against them or a player who's connected. And so in the past I've written when we played Fulham, for instance, the the other week I wrote a blog about. Um, Nathan Jones because he was the caretaker manager. Yeah, that was a that was a fantastic read. I would recommend everybody go back and read that. Um, I think that's why I was so keen to have you on because a lot of the listeners that I'm starting to have come to my podcast are a lot of new fans. Um, even so much as being spurred on by the Ali J signing is enough for them to start mm-hmm. listening. So I think that the 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 product that you throw out there is something that they could really relate to and learn that deeper history about i think you're spot on with it oh it's not it's nice nice of you to say that i mean yeah i guess that's that's what it is and there's i mean there's there's plenty um of other areas i would point people in the direction of as well i would say um that um that your your podcast of course you, you your analysis i've listened to the last couple of ones where your analysis of, of the games are quite good and you've got um a lot of Albion content out there and, and the Albion Raw is particularly good the Albion Raw podcast uh, um, which has been going for a number of years now and, and um, th- those sort of those those sort of outlets which do put things from a fan's perspective I think it's because a lot of what you get from the the traditional media um, seems very seems very bland I think particularly when they talk about clubs like Brighton because often it's naturally very centred around the top six clubs and the people that that then um, are, then end up talking about Albion. It's almost that they don't know about these individual clubs. And, and part of that is because of the nature of English football that you'll go down to, um, even down to sort of levels seven and, and eight of English football and you'll get crowds in, in four figures. And um, I when I didn't used to go to the album when I was younger, I used to go watch my local team, um, Eastbourne Borough. And in those days when Brighton were playing at the Whiff team, they used to get um, four-figure crowds quite regularly, particularly when they were playing uh, a team, another team from Sussex. And I think that then gives you, um, when you then a club like Albion, which traditionally, when we were at the Whiff team, we were getting crowds regularly of about 6,000, and then suddenly you find yourself in the Premier League. And I think thing. Outlets like that, the Alvin Roar and like the the Bob Gutter Right, and there's there's plenty of other good ones out there as well that I would uh, that I would recommend um, people going out there and finding that just give you that perspective of and and someone who's been watching the club for a number of years and and it puts things into into a, into the context, which I think makes otherwise it's just ultimately it's just 22 men 
kicking a ball around a field, isn't it? Oh, it without the context, without the history. And that's right. what makes it so important. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, I think you're, you're bang on in the fact that it's really just about the top six. And once you get outside of the top six, it becomes very cut and paste because mm. they, it's, it, there's a lot of work to go into studying a club because mm. like you said, everybody is so unique. And I think that's, I think that's a great thing that the English football pyramid has that, that level of uniqueness because you don't get it over here, for example, with major league soccer and yes. all of that stuff. But. At the same time, it feels like it's a bit too much work for just like national journos to do. So <laughs> I think no, I think it's a great time during. I mean, with Twitter and Northstand Chat and like all of this, the internet being a, such a big thing, I think it's a, a great time to be a, a fan of somebody not inside the top six. So speaking mm. of, you started following the Albion and in the Withdean games in the Withdean days. So what kind of what kind of first memories do you have? What game was the first one that stands out to you? Yeah, the first one. And I um I I I often um argue with this about uh with my brother who I generally go to go to a lot of games with about what the first game was. And um but it it was the it was that era where Mickey Adams had had, had just taken over the club and um and he was building that side that then went on to win consecutive uh, promotions and, and, and consecutive championships. And and um, my memory of what the first game is, Hartlepool uh, at home, which was a 1-0 win. And I just remember sitting in the South Stand and it being, I think it was, a, I think it was October or November, and it was a freezing cold day. We would have been about... 11 or 12 at the time something and uh and you know just sitting there and i just remember my brother whinging the whole game about how cold it was but that was just the nature of, of the <laughs> stadium that it was just there was no roof on the south stand and if it and if it rained you got wet that was just the, the way it was and uh and how far away were you from the pitch about 35 yards as well <laughs> something like that yeah something like that yeah it was uh it was before it was before the days obviously that they put in the away stand behind the goal but uh I know that um, that Martin Ferry, of course, famously said that uh, famously christened that that stand the, the Worthing stand because it was because uh, they used to say it was far enough away from the pitch that it might as well be in Worthing. Uh, but yeah, it was it wasn't a great it wasn't a great view you got from uh, <laughs> from there. It was quite a, you were quite a distance away, weren't you? But it was at the same time it was a horrible football stadium, but at the same time it had because we spent ended up spending so many years there. Um, it it has a I have a very fond memory of the achievements that we had there. Of course, there were so many promotions and so many great victories and so many great sides and the amount of good teams that we had there and good managers that we managed to attract to the club. Who I think a lot of them slightly naively thought, oh yeah, in a year's time they'll they'll have built the stadium and and then a year later they hadn't even started got the planning permission for it so uh, <laughs> yes it was uh no it was they, those were as, as much as i think partly because of the struggles that the club had in the early 90s and, and the mid 90s those it was i think there was a feeling around the city that it was nice to have a football club in the city and not over the other side of uh the southeast of england over in, in kent playing in Gilligan, um and that just existed and it was a uh, Coming to the club at that time, it was a great time to, to start supporting the club. But even still, I mean, when I was at, I, I would, would, would have been at school in those days and, and pretty much everyone else apart from myself and one or two other friends supported 
Premier League clubs, it was the Arsenals and the Tottenham's and the Chelsea's and the United's and, and you were the, the Albion fan at the school. And that was, that was just the, the way it was at the time. Whereas now you walk around not just Brighton, but any town in Sussex and you'll see kids walking around in Brighton shirts and, um, very, very different times now than it, than it was then. Yeah, it's it's surreal when I have people reach out to me from Phoenix and Dallas and places like that saying, oh, I follow the Albion now and I, I listen to your podcast and it's like, holy cow. Like, <laughs> yes, we, yes. The, the big time has been reached. Um, and if only you knew how it was back in the Within days. But it was, I agree, it was it was crap, but it was ass. Uh, yes, and yes, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. We made mm. it. We made it a, a real fortress as well. So, mm. talking of all those all those memories you have, so what one would you say? Oh, I suppose it's going to be difficult to narrow it down to one. But what what's your favourite Albion memory? Yeah, difficult to say. After going over how great um, great the Whiff team was, I'm, I'm probably going to pick a pick an Amex memory, um, which <laughs> ironically is my my favourite is probably the 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 Doncaster game, the first game at the Amex, just because of what it meant having the stadium and all those years of protests and marches and and the banners and everything else that went with the We Want Falmer campaign and Falmer for All and everything. It was, uh, it was a special day just being there and then the way that we won the game in the, in the seventh minute of injury time was, was it would have been special anyway, but the, the nature of the win made it, made it even more special. Um, but yeah, there's been, there was been some, even in the last year, I mean, the last year or two, we, obviously there was the, the Wigan game where we got promotion and then the West Brom game I mentioned earlier and, and the United win, well, both wins in, in, in the last few months, uh, at the end of last season, the, the, the one a few weeks ago at the beginning of this, that, that, that have been fantastic. And as I say, there are so many great memories back at the Wifteen as well. I remember beating uh, Swindon in the in the semi-final of the playoffs, where people were leaving because we were about to go out, and and then in the must have been in injury time uh, where Alan Virgo scored with pretty much the last touch of the. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was about the 122nd minute that he, he yeah. threw his head in there. <laughs> yeah, it must have been. It was. Uh, it's and, and I just remember seeing all the people running back in who'd, who'd left, who'd given up, that thinking that we were thinking that we were out, and then it was inevitable. After that, we were going to win on penalties. It felt inevitable, and that was yeah, that that was and and then winning the the playoff final at the Millennium Stadium that was also special. Um, so it's difficult to pick one, but I guess if I had to, it would be would be the Doncaster game just because of what it meant. To to finally got the stadium. Yeah, I would I would honestly agree with you. To be honest, I managed to snag a ticket at the last minute, um, and I went on my own, and it was still just the best thing yeah. I'd ever done. I was sat in the east stand, just in front of Gully's girls, and, <laughs> and the absolute scenes when that last one went in, it was just uh, yes, goosebumps. It was yeah, incredible. It was, it was funny because obviously it was the um, the first game of the season, so. Um, my brother and I had, had bought season tickets for that year because we've kind of been going to games, odd games on and off, and, and been season ticket holders on and off um, 
but we thought it's the first game, first season at the Amex. We have to, we have to get season tickets. Um, and you, suddenly you, you've scored a goal in the 97th minute and you're hugging people around you that you've never met before because it's, you know, the first <laughs> game at the new stadium and you don't know any of these people are, but it was just such a, it was such a moment. Um, that, yeah, it's hard, hard to be topped really, even, even with all the wonderful things that we've achieved over the last few years. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but it, looking at the present, um, where do you where do you think we'll end up finishing this season? Yeah, it's a t- it's a tough one to, to to sort of to say specifically because ultimately you look at the the Premier League now, and aside from the top six and maybe Everton, maybe you'd say Leicester as well, if you were being generous, everyone is basically competing to not get relegated. If I had to sort of mark us down, I would say somewhere around 14th, I would guess. I think there's four or five teams in the division that we should be aiming to finish above. Once you get beyond that point, you're, you're looking at teams, the more established teams in the division, um, that, that you maybe you, you would expect to, to pick up a few more points along the way. Um, it's ultimately, it's always going to be, um, if you stay up, it'll only be by at most four or five points just by the nature of how competitive the league is and and and, uh, and how even the nature of the league is. I mean, the, particularly in recent years, with the amount of television revenue that that is then passed on to the clubs, you're having teams like Fulham who've just been promoted into the division spending £100 million. And obviously they've got wealthy owners backing them, but even still... That that's not an uncommon kind of level of spending from from clubs coming coming into the Premier League. We obviously spent something like forty million in the summer transfer window at uh, the beginning of the last season, and and Huddersfield spent a lot of money, and and it's un, unprecedented the level of spending and and the sort of players that teams like Brighton, who would never have been able to attract the sort of players, players like. Um, you mentioned your hand bash and players that, like we signed the summer before, people like David Proper, a, a, a Holland international, and it makes the league so so tight that therefore quite easily we could end up finishing bottom as as West Brom did, or we could quite easily end up finishing tenth as Newcastle did, and ultimately there's very little difference between a lot of the clubs. But I just feel like the edge that Chris Hughton's management gives us, the fact that we will just keep picking up points. That's what we did last season. Even um, during the difficult periods, we just kept picking up the odd point here and there, and kept keeping our head above above that relegation line. Even at times, if it was only by by a point or something, it was um, it's something that I expect will happen again. I don't think it will be comfortable. I think it will be difficult. I think we'll still get the odd hammering like we did last season. But I think I think around about middle of the bottom half is is probably about right. Yeah, I think I think anyone will bite your hand off for it. So if yes. uh, if we're to finish around that sort of lower mid table mark, who have you got penciled in as the three that you think are going to go down? Now we're about where we're a couple of games in, and you've been able to check out the competition. Who have you who have you got down yeah, the relegation? Well, yeah, a, that's probably the toughest question, isn't it? I, at the start of the season, when you sort of sit down and you, you do these do these predictions, I I, I looked at. The three teams that I picked then were Huddersfield, Burnley and Fulham. Um, I think Huddersfield, even better to manage to stay up last season. I think it's going to be just as tough for them this season. And, 
they could easily get the same amount of points as they did last season and, and get relegated. It's hard to, to, to not pick them. And I think Burnley, with the, the added um, complexity that European football has given them in the recent uh, start to the season, albeit the fact that they haven't qualified for the group stages and that they have made some, some reasonably good signings. I think, I think it'll be tough for them um, this season. And, and Fulham, I, I just thought because they, because they won the playoffs, ultimately teams that win the playoffs are often teams that struggle and, and often do get relegated. But Fulham, out of the three, if I was going to, going to change my mind, Fulham are probably the team that, that have been much better than I'd expect. Um, I, I, I guess I, I did, um, if I was going to pick someone, it would probably be Cardiff or Newcastle, um, possibly, um, Cardiff, just because if Raf Benitez stay there, you feel like similarly to, to, um, what I was mentioning about with us with Chris Hewton, he's the sort of manager with, with the nous that they will just keep picking up points. Um, and I feel like maybe Cardiff lack that bit of quality. Um, whilst I, I think Warnock is a much better manager than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, and you only have to look at his record in the championship to, uh, for, for decades to, to see that. I think they'll, they might just get found out. So if I had to pick three, it would probably be Huddersfield, Burnley and Cardiff. But I mean, I think last season I picked, I think I picked Huddersfield, Burnley and West Ham and, and not, none of them got relegated. It really is. It, Throw a blanket over right. that. Clubs. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's it is it is going to be going to be tight. I think um, you could easily make an argument for for any of the teams in in uh, outside of the those top six or seven or eight clubs. Um, I mean, teams like Palace and Bournemouth who who stayed up year after year and 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 are now probably considered fairly established Premier League clubs. You could easily make an argument for them. Southampton struggled last year. There's, there's a lot of clubs which are going to be looking over their shoulder. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so I, I pretty much feel the same kind of way in terms of the the, the three that I'd pencil into. Um, I think it was a blessing in disguise for Burnley to not get in the group stage because I think they would have. I think they'd have yeah. been serious, serious trouble. Um, yeah. But moving on to a slightly easier question, I think. Um, who do you think will win it this year? Yeah, I guess Man City is the obvious answer to this question, isn't it? They just, even however good Liverpool have looked towards the end of last season and the teams around them as well, you look at United and you look at Chelsea, you look at Tottenham, they've all got a lot of quality in their squads. I mean, the way Tottenham went to Old Trafford recently and won 3-0 was was very impressive. But then they go and lose to Watford, and and you just wonder whether any of the teams around Man City have that level of level of quality to the to the and consistency to do it week on week on week that Man City did last season. I guess the only the only question mark is about is about retaining the Premier League title because it hasn't been done since what was it oh eight oh nine when that. Man United team with um, Ronaldo and, and the, won the, the European Cup. I mean, that it's it is it is a tough thing to do. And uh, even in the Premier League, era, it's apart from United, only Chelsea have 
um, have retained the title, Mourinho's Chelsea in his first. So it's, it's su- it is such a tough thing to do, but I, 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 it's hard to look past them, really, isn't it? Because they do look so much better than everyone else. The only, my only question mark is, are they going to sacrifice the old Premier League game at the expense of um, maybe going for the going for the Champions League? You've already seen this season when they went away to Wolves, where they've already dropped a couple of points, which they hadn't at this point last season. So there's a, there are there's there's question marks over Man City, but they they do look still so far ahead of of the rest that even if they weren't to win the league, it would more be that the other team won the league because of Man City's failings rather than because of because they were a great side. I would suggest. Even I think that's or, or Tottenham won the league this year. I think that's definitely fair. Um, so, in terms of the forty million we've spent this summer, uh, which one of those signings are you most excited about seeing? Um, I mean, some of them we haven't really seen anything of yet. Like you said, Antonio hasn't haven't played a game yet. But out of the mm-hmm. ones you've seen, which one which one ticks the boxes the most for you? The one that I feel gives us something different is probably Basuma. Whilst uh, you you talked. Um, um, positively about, about Montoya and he's been fantastic and I feel that what Basuma gives us in the centre of the pitch compared to say Gross particularly when we're away from home we're playing a bit deeper and we don't have the the attacking threat necessarily f- from the full backs that we do do at home I think what Basuma gives you is is that that power and that pace and the ability to, to take the ball out from, from deeper positions that maybe KL did a little bit in the championship that he's struggled to quite replicate in the Premier League. And I think that, that for me, looking at Basuma really is, is why he particularly excites me. But there's been so many new signings that really do look like they could offer us something different. And I think the interesting thing will be, does it affect Hewton's mentality on the way he picks the team because particularly last season I, mean, I think we used something like 23 players which is much lower than the average in the, in the Premier League and and the, the reality was it was mostly the same 11 that was playing week in week out um, something like 9 players played appeared in all but 5 Premier League games last season and when you look at someone like Bruno who didn't he would have if it wasn't for his age and someone like Izquierdo. He would have if it wasn't for the fact that he came into the team slightly later in the season um, because he because he uh, signed very late on. So it will be interesting to see if, if that level of quality that we have that we probably didn't have if you, if you were being brutally honest last season beyond the first eleven means that. We're making more changes to, tea, to to the to the starting eleven, and and you won't necessarily see people like Murray play once Andone comes into the team. I think that'll be interesting. It will be interesting to see how that affects things because Hughton's mentality and style, and and very much our style last season was built on being solid defensively and being and being consistent on that week out week in week out, and whether. The fact that we've got those options means um, we can play a bit more offensively. And I know we, we've, you look at the United game, for instance, and, and we, uh, and the Liverpool game where we try to press them higher up the pitch and 
and whether having those options means that we we're changing the way we play a little bit more and 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 we we changing the starting 11 a bit more it's it will be interesting to see I, th- I think it's it's very exciting to see whether Hutton comes out of his comfort zone and does that I think he gets typecast a little bit unfairly sometimes because in the championship we did it, it was the championship so it was the lower level but in the championship we did we did play some good football and, and, and we did a, we did attack a lot of teams and and we we had um and whilst we still had the same starting eleven, he, he changed things a lot more, and and um, and I think it will be interesting to see whether whether those options that he has changes us and potentially could make us a, a much better team than than we were last season. Yeah, I think it. I think Bissouma and I think Bissouma and players like that that have come in and hit the ground running really give us a different dimension. It's pretty exciting. I think it's uh it's. I think we'll see more from Chris. I think we we snuck like sneaked slightly towards the four four two at the end of the Fulham game, and I wonder if that's going to be something you look at doing more of. Um, yeah. But as we so. as we as we look to wrap up, um, just just one more question for you. Uh, obviously, Bissouma has been the man who stands out with the new boys. But who's been your who's been your overall player of the first four games so far this season? No, I'm I'm going to be again. I'm going to pick the, the predictable answer here and say it's got to be Glenn Murray. Um, <laughs> there's been so much written about him and, and spoken about him recently, particularly since the, the Fulham game, but after the United game where he scored that wonderful goal um, and last season where he went on that fantastic run. It just, it, it, it's been a pleasure watching him since, since January, really. He's, he's led the line with proficiency and a, and a prowess of a player much beyond his his reputation, um, and it's hard to. Whilst quite rightly, people will say he hasn't necessarily changed his style of play necessarily. He's still very much the the same player that that he has been. He he hasn't added an extra element to his game. He's not suddenly running in behind defenders. Um, he's not suddenly got the pace of someone like Theo Walcott, for instance. But he's He's he just seems that little bit smarter and a little bit more sharper than he was when when he first started for the Albion. I mean, I remember the Whitting days, particularly when he was playing for us. He was often called lazy, and and you see him get caught offside a lot. And he wouldn't track back as much. And I feel like working under Hutton, you can tell Hutton, and, I, and I, you can tell with. I think for, for me, you can tell with someone like Anthony Knockhart, who, who very much wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's made comments in, in interviews about how he, def- he has to defend a lot. And I think Hutton ensures that everyone works for the team. And I think you, could, you can sort of say maybe in his earlier years, Murray did focus on just putting the ball in the back of the net. And fair enough, that's his, that's his job, particularly when you're playing in, in League One. Your job is to score goals, but when when you move up to that top level, you've got to to get in the team and, and to play every week to lead the line. You've got to do much more, and and he does so much for the team. And, and the way so so many games come come to mind, but just the, the Fulham game, the last the last game, the way he he kept plugging away, even when we were two 0 down, he kept trying to win fouls, and, and and the way he just 
he, he, he's always a threat in the box and it's ultimately he is somewhat one dimensional when you, you do, he does rely on, on crosses coming into the box and, and getting the right service. But if you can, if we can get the best out of him, he could score 20 goals this year quite easily. He's, and he looks like he could play till he's, till he's 40 the way, the way someone like Sheringham did. He's, he doesn't seem to be, showing any signs of his age. A lot of people focus on his age, but he's as good as I've ever seen him play, frankly. Um, I I mean, I, I intentionally didn't watch uh, him play um, unless I had to, unless he was playing against the album when he was playing for, for Palace that year that he scored 30-odd <laughs> goals. But um, possibly uh, some Palace fans will tell us he was, he was a lot better that year. But I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never seen him um over since since January, I've never seen him play play better. So um, yeah, he's 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 got to be got to be the man, really, the the standout man of the team. And long may it continue, frankly. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty happy with that answer. I don't I don't see any any way of arguing with it. He's he's scoring us goals. He's defying logic with the with the way he's adapting his game every time he he mm. loses something. Um, yeah, he's he's a hell of a player and. Uh, Andone and Lockadia and all of those players that are trying to play into into the team have got a hell of a job when they come back or when they're going for it because he's he's single handedly keeping them all out, which is pretty uh, pretty impressive. But thank you again for coming on. Um, it's been a great great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so if you want to just tell everybody again uh, your your Twitter handle where they can find you and. You know that, that what's what, what's maybe in the pipeline coming forward for the next one or two blogs. Yeah, sure. So um, my Twitter handle is uh, at tweeting seagull. Um, my blog is uh, tweeting seagull. There's I'm um, on all the uh, main social media sites, so you should be able to find me um, one 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 place or another. I've just released a, a, a blog in the last couple of days, which is. Um, about the, the the Brighton women's team and, and the history of, of of that sort of tied into to the history of, of the of women's football, um, which I think is is a particularly interesting subject. Um, the the sort of the level and, and breadth of of the Albion um, across all its teams, and you look at what. Um, Albany and the community are doing and all the disability specific teams and and the development team beating Man City 5-0 um, the other week it, it's it's an exciting time um, and that's kind of I, I, I do plan to write more about that um, in the coming weeks um, thinking I think the, the, the next blog that, that I write will be uh, it will be for the Southampton game um, and that's sort of in, in process at the moment which uh, which will will be based around the the Poirier's first game in charge and that that three nil victory, um, and yeah, got a, a few coming up, a few sort of uh, uh, of people of uh, of my generation of Albion fans uh, will, will remember um, planning on on writing something about Loire Loire and um, and uh, possibly for the Man City game. Uh, uh, I haven't even uh, started thinking about this, but potentially noted down about uh, that League Cup victory against Man City um, and, and, and 
around that that season, which was uh, a bit of a, a, a bit of a bit of a tough year to be an Albion fan that year. The, the return of Mickey Adams, but um, yeah, pl- plenty of plenty of interesting interesting subjects coming up. Um, so uh, yeah, follow me on on Twitter to 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 keep in touch. All right, wicked. Well, thank you again for coming on, and uh, good luck. And I'll be sure to read read on. Great, thanks a lot. Good to speak to you, guys. So thank you again to uh, the Tweeting Seagull for coming on the show. Um, I'm sure you'll agree it's a pretty interesting insight into him and his blog and what he's going to do going forward. Um, I highly recommend going back and reading at least the last couple. Um, his, his his blog on Nathan Jones and his blog on the women's football is is really interesting. Um, if, it's, if it's in any way up your alley, I really recommend it. Uh, he really covers things that like he said aren't aren't really part of the mainstream um things like those smaller things like Poyer's first game with Southampton that he's going to look at or the the Nathan Jones era of two games um and what he meant to us as a player and and a, and a coach um it's something that you don't really get because like he said like the the focus is either on the now and what we are as a Premier League club or what we went through to get here um, be it the glory days of the FA Cup finals or be it the the dark days of of we we needed a ground and we were homeless and broke. Um, so I really encourage you to take a look at it. Um, but in terms of what we're going to be doing going forward, uh, next week we will be back to the usual format. Um, I will be taking a look at the Southampton game and what made what tick and how we, how we perform there. Hopefully I'm coming to you on the back of a win, a nice away from home win for the first time in quite some time. And I will be looking ahead to the next game, um, which seems a million miles away, but I will be taking a look at the game to come and the Southampton game that we will have played by the next time you hear me. So... Thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at TogetherBHA on Twitter and tell me what you thought of the episode. Um, and if you have any other advice for future international breaks, I have my own ideas, but I'm always open to more. Um, so, yeah, have a good one, and I will see you next week. <laughs>